for our scripture reading this morning. I'm going to read two portions, a very short portion from Colossians that we had last week, and then a portion from Psalm 33 in the Old Testament. Uh, and we'll focus on both of those passages as in the sermon. So first of all, uh, Colossians 1, 17 and 18. And he is before all things, and in him uh, all things consist. He is the head of the body and the church, who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And then from Psalm 33, the Lord brings the counsel, verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding. As we talked last week about the preeminence of Christ, uh, I thought, and, and then the events, the events have unfolded internationally as they have, especially in, in Afghanistan. I thought of Psalm 33 and how it makes this grand declaration that the, the, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing and makes the, the plans of the peoples to no effect. And then verse 12, which says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, which is a very theocratic understanding of national politics, of which even the church today has almost no time uh, to consider. And so I was, I was swept up in this general idea, and so want to want to have um, us consider it today. Uh, now, I said, I said I was thinking this especially because of Afghanistan and the fall of Kabul. I have not, very often God makes these, gives us these tremendous visions of things, and yet the people still don't see. It doesn't make much sense to them. But when you think about it, the, the, what has happened in Afghanistan to America the, the, the thing that struck me was that God is mocking us and that God is, uh, God is explaining to us or telling us, declaring to us that he will not share his glory with another. That's a Bible verse. I, he will not share his glory. God will not be mocked. What, what is it in America, this country that was founded by Puritans, founded by people that understood the Bible, what else can it be when we maintain our whole national life, our whole cultural life uh, in exclusion of God about the best that we can get, our vague declarations that uh, God, in God we trust as, it, as it's marked on some of our money. These things follow from the, our earlier faith, but they are, they're so vague as practically to be worthless. And then when it comes to talking or explaining life that is the most clear thing that is said when we have such such a crisis as they have in Afghanistan now. 
people just go along as if all the answers that they've been given are appropriate and, and sufficient and satisfactory. It's, it's mind-boggling. Uh, if I, uh, this, I have a news article here from um, the uh, newspaper in the United Kingdom. American newspapers are, are basically not even covering the debacle over there. They're covering it a little bit more than they have recently. Other things, other big mistakes like this, the border chaos, but they're not covering it really very much more. The headline in the Daily Times, the Sunday Times of London, wrote, We are trapped in hell. Afghans caught in the Kabul airport. So in order to, in order to explain a really bad situation, they have to dip into the Bible for a, a word, hell. You know, We are trapped in hell. Afghans caught in the Kabul airport chaos say victims are being shot, beaten and trampled to death with at least 20 people killed in, a st in stampedes to escape the Taliban before America shuts down their lifeline. A NATO official who spoke on condition of anonymity. Now, why are they afraid to speak? Why are they afraid to say something openly? Give their name. You see the, what's going on here, the terrible intimidation. A NATO official who spoke on condition of anonymity uh, told Reuters at least 20 people have been killed in the past seven days in and around Kabul airport during the evacuation effort. Well, what's the big secret about that? You know, why are you afraid to say that openly? The British military Ministry of Defense said seven Afghans had died while trying to flee the Taliban. The withdrawal has strained relations between Britain and the U.S. with Tony Blair, who was in Downing Street, when London sent troops to, into Afghanistan 20 years ago in the wake of 9-11, accusing Joe Biden of deciding to pull out with little or no consultation, branding the move imbecilic. British Armed Forces Minister James um, Heapy, I think it's pronounced, has said that more than 1,700 people have been airlifted out in the past 24 hours. I would say only. Here you've got an airport filled with thousands and thousands and thousands of people, and they can't get more than 1,700 out in a day. It's amazing. Adding that the militants were marshalling people into separate U.S. and U.S. U.K. and U.S. evacuation queues or lines. However, there were further there were further worrying reports about the treatment of Britons and Afghans who supported the 20-year intervention who were trying to escape. Shadow Foreign Secretary Lisa Nandy shared a letter on social media that she had sent Mr. Rob, one of the U.K. ministers, that that the crisis that the crisis facing, uh, oh, she sent a letter about the crisis facing evacuees. The senior opposition figure said labor MPs have been hearing of people being shot at, beaten, and raped while they wait to be called forward at the airport. While the Baron Hotel in the city, where many British nationals are being told to travel to for processing, is being blockaded by the Taliban. That was the hotel that the American helicopters went into last week on the roof. And took um, took 100, almost 180 Americans out of the hotel for fear of them. An Afghan woman called Sarah, who asked for her real name not to be used, told the Observer, another British paper, how families with U.S. visas, U.S. passports, and green cards were not able to reach their evacuation flights or get any information about their fate as the Taliban block all access points to the airport. 
U.S. military planes have been making rapid diving combat landings at the airport while their aircraft have fired flares on takeoff in a bid to confuse possible heat-seeking missiles amid a new perceived threat from the Islamic State Group affiliate in uh, Afghanistan. Meanwhile, the Mail, this is a British, another British, Daily Mail, another British paper, on Sunday can reveal that Home Secretary uh, Priti Patel is scrambling to prosecute the Taliban as a terrorist group amid fears that hundreds of British these jihadis, these are, these are jihadists that are living in Britain right now, will head to Afghanistan to join and live under the Islamic regime. The Home Office is now looking urgently to ban the group, which has avoided proscription so far, even though the Taliban has harbored terrorist groups such as al-Qaeda and killed 456 British troops in Afghanistan over the past two decades. They're afraid that the people will join the rebellion there in um, Afghanistan and then come back to Britain as tra more trained guerrillas and, and uh, up the, the terrorist ante. So what they're what they're saying, and uh, the the article and the other places went to, went on to say that there are just thousands trapped in the airport. There's no plan to get them out. I mean, we Biden comes on and tells us, oh, he's got plans. Oh, he plans here, plans there. But they're getting out after a week, after a week of this. They're only getting seventeen hundred out a day once in a while. They're running out of food and water. Uh, the people are frantic, frantic. You've seen them passing babies over the bar barbed wire families outside the wire, passing their little babies over the wire because they had no confidence that they would be alive to take care of that child. Hardly confident that they would ever see the child again. They are so frantic. We sit here in America arguing over what pronouns we ought to be using as we address each other. Just the, 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 the cultural calamity, the confusion is, uh, is mind-boggling. It's just mind-boggling. So, in the face of this, um, you know, we we had this added, we had these attitudes amongst ourselves before the before Kabul fell. But when you when you see Kabul failing as it is, and you think about the Lord, uh, you think how the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. Uh, the America's had a consensus. Uh, we, we have gone along making plans, having elections, relative peace here and there, despite the tumult of our debate, relative peace. But uh, what does that up, add up to? And uh, I think the Lord is showing us here with uh, that the, the leadership of America, they assume leaders who can walk, who could, you know, you could have one of these people come in here this morning, he'd be dressed up looking better than I do, and he'd say, oh, you know, we're in control and everything's okay. The Lord is showing us how bankrupt almost everything is. There's almost no one that we can really depend on here in the leadership of our country at this time. Because why? Because most of them are unbelievers, most of them are pagans, they have no allegiance to God. Christ has de declared himself to be the preeminent entity in this world in the book of Colossians. But there's no sensitivity to this whatsoever, very, very little. And even in the churches of America, 
there are many who would condemn a sermon like this this morning as mixing politics with religion, as, as a going off the reservation in a sense. We're not talking about the doctrines of grace per se or the, some uh, different uh, uh, permutation of Calvinism. We're worldly. So the church is almost as sick as the society. You can't read the prophets of the Old Testament without seeing how much they crossed over those lines. So I wanted to consider this, this, this passage this, in Psalm 33 this morning to, to evaluate where we are in America. And I just I hope each one of us is humbled and we realize how desperate our situation is. We, we may see chaos here domestically, or we may not. It's all up to the Lord. But I, I, we need to see how desperate we are as a nation and how foolish and how, how um, uh, spiritual wickedness leads to great stupidity, and stupidity usually leads to blood and, uh, and uh, mayhem and that sort of thing. So as we turn to um, we, we as we turn to Psalm 33, I hope I've introduced the the, the principle of preeminence uh, last week in this in terms of um, the nations. Well, with a caveat that I, I add here in our outline that it's in your bulletin that the nations must submit to this preeminence. Jesus can't be preeminent in all things, and yet and yet the 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 great uh, power entities of this world, namely the national powers, think nothing of it. See, if Christ really is preeminent, then how can the, the other great pretenders to power not pay any attention to that? It's impossible. You cannot have a preeminent Christ in a secular world. It doesn't go together. So, um, and so, in, like in Psalm 47 that we sang, and it causes all peoples clap your hands for joy to God and triumph shout. That's a call to the peoples, to the peoples of the world, all people groups. For awesome is the Lord most high, great king, the earth throughout. He brings the people under us in mastery complete, and he it is who nations all subdues beneath our feet. We see all of those ideas are uh, uh, an iniquity to the modern mind. They say, that, you know, no one belief system no one theology can control or demand that everyone submit under that idea. But that's exactly what the Bible says. It says that these pillars are part of the ABCs of the scriptures. And the churches today don't understand this. They refuse to admit it. They condemn those who preach about that sort of thing. And so, um, uh, in verse 10... <clears throat> When it says that the, the, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing, what he's saying is that whatever it is that is the orthodoxy or is the, are the central ideas of the nations of the world, inasmuch as they are separated from the Lord, God will bring their counsel, God will bring their wisdom to nothing. And that's, that's what we see in Kabul. Uh, the most powerful nations of the world, Russia before uh, Russia before us, now us, the British Empire before, have floundered 
uh, in, the, in the land of Kabul because God has raised up a people there like the Philistines who are very hard-headed. And they just, they don't care whether they die, especially. And so they're, they're the perfect antithesis to people like us who are worried about our comfort and uh, our happiness. And so when we're worried about our comfort and our happiness, we, we, uh, we just are undone by people like this. So God has used the Philistines and God has used the Afghans to show us how foolish we are. And he, he makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The, the greatest political idea that we have in, in the West is the people will rule. The, 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 the rights of the people to direct themselves. Well, in, superficial, in a superficial political way, that, that's, that works. That's somewhat helpful. But God says... Here in Psalm 33, that he makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. In other words, the key is not a 51% majority. The key is not being a nation state. The key has nothing to do with humanity. The key has to do with the living God, Jehovah God, the God of the Bible. And if he is ensconced in a place of authority, then there's blessing. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, verse 12. This is what this all builds up to. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Not blessed is the nation who believes in separation of church and state in the sense of separation from God. And that's not the that's not the the, the rule for blessing. That's a rule for curse. And yet that's what we believe here in America. So um, um the first, the first principle of the sermon is that, the, that uh, it has to do with this principle of preeminence with Christ and that the nations are, are, are uh, subject to that. The second is that the, ma that the masses of people and the political parties fare no better. Uh, we are just in love with this idea that whatever men think is really important. And whatever men think is what we ought to follow. Whereas the Bible says, no, it's what God thinks, which is really uh, the key and what is most important. Um, in verse 10, it says that the nation's council has no future outside of Christ. And then it leads to, to verse 11, which says the council of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. So it's a direct contradiction of verse 10, which is the council of the nations and the plans of the people, which is a parallel idea to the council of the nations. Whatever people are thinking, we're under the false illusion that if you get thousands and thousands of people together and they all agree that God is not important or that God ought to be thrown off, that that's a fine idea. But verse 10 teaches us, no, the, 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 it's the, the, all these things end up being of no effect. They're utterly vain. They, they're unworkable. But it's the counsel of the Lord, the wisdom of God, that stands forever. The plans of his heart are to all generations, not the plans of men. Um, and so it ends up with this principle, the last principle here, uh, that the, the nation, a nation state who, who identifies with the Lord in a kind of theocratic way is where the whole real hope is. Now, 
this is so foreign to us. We, I, I've had it explained to me, and I've explained it to many others, that in the 1700s there were so many religious wars that a lot of the philosophers and the thinking of the 1700s believed that the way to obtain peace was to set aside religion that, that inspired hatreds and competitive thinking and that sort of thing, set all that aside and just be secular. That if you were secular, that's the way you would find peace. Now you think within, within 50 years of our founding as a nation, we had a civil war. So you think that this secular thinking idea would have been dashed to pieces right away, but it wasn't. And so that's carried over into the 20th century where there are tremendous world wars, catastrophes, but we have still not, we have still not come to the place of repentance where we wanted to obtain that which the nation had at first, which was a, a love of God and a desire to spend time with him, a desire to Sabbath with him, a desire to tabernacle with him, a desire to fellowship with him. Now this all comes down to us as individuals, doesn't it? Because the group doesn't do this. The group doesn't obtain this feeling, this understanding, this theology, unless the individual does. And so each one of us is suffering to some capacity, to some degree. Each one of us is suffering with a lack of piety, real piety in our lives. And a desire to take that out and to make that part of the organizing principle of our, of our day. Um, I heard of a book quite a while ago, but it, it, it uh, applies so much to our lives today, and that's a, a book by Neil Postman. It's, it says, its title is Amusing Ourselves to Death, um, Public Discourse in the Age of Show Business. And so uh, this, is, this very well describes our lives today in America where we, we just distract ourselves with uh, uh, pleasure and uh, uh, with amusement instead of a real piety before the Lord. And so uh, the Bible would call us to see that if we don't do this, if we ignore this, that then we are part of that group that is all of our thoughts, all of our hopes, all of our work is brought to nothing. Um, Egypt was a great culture in the ancient world in, the, in terms of a great in the sense that they accomplished something, that they built great buildings, pyramids, and these kinds of things. But God came and he just slapped them with the back of his hand when he brought his people out of Egypt, and then he drowned them in the sea. He, he forced them to give Israel their possessions, their riches, their gold, their silver, to endow Israel as a nation. Israel had nothing. Israel was a poor people. And it was like when they left Egypt, they had the bank of Egypt uh, in their midst. And it was all God's doing. It's just amazing what, what the Lord did with that people as a symbol or as a token of what he can do and what he would do. What will, where will we be? Will we be Egyptians? Will we be left in the culture of chaos? Or will we be amongst the covenant people who are endowed by the Lord 
and made a nation, a viable nation by him. But if you search out the public discourse of our day, hardly anybody is saying these things. And uh, most often, if somebody does say it, they're criticized by other churchmen for, as I said, mixing religion and politics or mixing theology uh, with um, the other more fanciful things of this world. Uh, but um, <clears throat> uh, God has given us, God has embarrassed us in Afghanistan. God has shamed us, even more so though there are people over there that are dying and uh, with no, with apparently no hope of getting saved at this. It's just a complete chaotic fiasco and yet they, they're hardly admitting it. Uh, Nancy Pelosi was interviewed about the, the, the loss of the billions of dollars of military equipment over there and the way that they withdrew she said, well, whenever, whenever you do something like this, you'll lose some stuff. You know, just minimizing these things, pretending that they're not of the significance of what they are. I've been, I've been really upset for months thinking about the people trying to cross the, our border in the South and how much crime there is, how, how the people have been raped and pillaged and killed just in trying to get into our country. And yet... The people in this country who say that they love people, they just don't seem concerned about this at all. It'd be a different thing if I suppose if their daughter was getting raped or their son was getting killed. Then that would amount to something. And then they say, why aren't people doing anything? This is the status quo of our day. This is the FBI of our day. This is the Department of Justice of our day. It's a chaotic uh, secularism that is just begging the Lord to judge them and to destroy them. On the other hand, we have our beloved Jesus Christ, who is preeminent, according to Colossians, who holds out his arms and welcomes all people and says, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you Sabbath rest. I will give you blessing. So I pray that you would, and your devotions and your family, that you would talk to your children about some of these things, that you would discuss them, that you would pray about them especially, and ask that the Lord might stay his hand and, uh, and show us mercy uh, where he has shown us wrath especially the mercy of understanding. We don't want just peace, whether, whether it's the, the uh, uh, COVID epidemic or whether it's these things. We don't just want peace. We don't want just a return to life as normal. We want piety. We want the love of God that would then display itself in every aspect of our lives. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we pray that we might prostrate ourselves before thy face. We pray that we would not need to taste the fruits of thine anger as are being displayed in Kabul this morning. It's hard to imagine, O oh Lord, that while we meet here and worship, that there are people that have lost hope that they will be able to protect their lives that they'll be able to protect their, their, they're holding their children's hands and yet they have no hope for either themselves 
or their children. Oh, God, we pray that we would be humbled by these things. We pray that we would prostrate ourselves, O oh Lord, before thy face. And we pray that we would do all that we could to reject this groupthink that dominates our world today and certainly our nation. This groupthink which believes that secularism is the beginning of wisdom instead of the fear of the Lord. We ask this, O Lord, in the name of Jesus our Christ, the most unsecular, the most pious, the most dedicated, the most theocratic man to ever live. We pray this in his name. Amen.